Vox Quick Hits. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, I'm Zach Beecham, one of the hosts of the Worldly Podcast on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Uh, the conversation that you're about to hear about the problems with the European Union's coronavirus vaccine rollout campaign and what it says about the European Union more broadly is a shorter excerpt of a longer conversation that we have over at our main podcast feed. And now, if you liked that, if you thought it was interesting and you want to learn more about what's going on in the EU, you should go check out our podcast, Worldly, W-O-R-L-D-L-Y, uh, at wherever you get your podcasts. The way that a system performs in a crisis uh, is an important indicator of how well the system is functioning in general and how well it's set up, and as well as the flaws and the defects and, and the benefits of the system under normal circumstances. And there's a lot to recommend the European approach to the COVID crisis writ large, right? There's a reason why so many Americans were looking jealously at Europe during what, what I would see as like the middle stage of the pandemic. Right when both the United States and the European Union had a lot of cases, Europe had uh, more stringent. On the whole, again, there are individual exceptions like Sweden and Europe, but on the whole, stringent and consistent lockdown policies. They were more serious about masking than the U.S. was in a lot of places, and uh, the result is that you had a much better system of mitigation in the EU uh, when, when infection rates were, were really high and vaccines were not available. But now, obviously, as we've been talking about, elements of the European system, a preoccupation with collective action, regulation, and solidarity have really slowed down vaccine distribution and hurt some countries, especially large and and high-income ones, disproportionately. And the result is that the United States now is a much better place to be than than Europe is, uh, with some caveats, again, because for some states maybe opening up before vaccine rates are too high. This is all very complicated. My point is, uh, to to wrap up a even-handed and long diatribe, it seems like we're seeing some of the the right-leaning critiques of the European Union that you've heard from uh, Euroskeptics and Brexiteers, that it's too bureaucratic, it's too slow. Uh, it is too dependent on these undemocratic institutions that don't always make good decisions. It seems like a lot of those critiques are looking more justified after the pandemic than they may have looked to a lot of people beforehand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, Alex, go. This is where I get to go as a European. No, um, <laughs> also, I still have coffee up my nose, so please take it away. Sure. I think the greatest indictment of sort of the EU in this moment is that actually it worked as intended. Right? <laughs> Brussels, the power center of Europe, strong-armed 27 member states that didn't really want to move in unison to move in unison. And it led into this play and this bet on slow-moving, low price, and then keeping pharmaceutical companies accountable down the line scheme. Um, it worked. Like, this is, the, it's not like there was a failure here. The plan is in play. This is the plan. Um, again, as we mentioned before, it could pan out down the line. 
um, especially if there are problems with the vaccines. But like this was the European project. This was we all moved together as one block. We use our combined power to strong arm these pharmaceutical companies to lower the prices. And then we will, as a block, distribute it equally or equitably, however, throughout um, the EU. Like there's no there's no process failure here. This was the process. This was the intended EU-designed process. So it's reaping what it sowed. Now, to the critiques, this was always the number one argument about the EU is like, you know, you can't get, you can't herd these many cats. You can't get 27 member states to sort of move quickly. This is what happens when you're in a big block. Um, and for those saying, well, the United States has 50 states. Yeah, they move individually, guys. It's a different thing. This is what <laughs> this is the difference with the EU is that like, even though they are 27 individual states in these moments, when the EU decides like we're moving as one, they kind of move as one. And this is, this is why I always think you see a, a big backlash, especially from Euroskeptics is like, in every crisis and in every one of these situations, the EU more and more looks like, not is, but looks like one country. And that has been the trend. And so you're still seeing sort of the backlash to it. And this is just the greatest example. So look, it's no surprise to me that, you know, I've been talking to friends in Germany and Spain and elsewhere where I'm going like, so how do you feel? Like you guys were doing pretty well early on and, and now it's looking pretty bad. And they've basically said, in general, two things to me. They go, one, well, remember, Europe got hit hard really early, and so we kind of dealt with it before you guys did, and so that when you in the U.S. got hit, it looked like we were doing better, but really, our timeline was just sort of, you know, earlier. Um, And then two is like, yeah, of course we're not getting vaccines because the EU is in charge. My government (laughs) isn't in charge. Um, Like, that's the general sentiment, even from left-leaning folks, even from European, like, friendly folks. Because this is what this is the deal you make. You make you become a bigger block, a more powerful block, you know, one with more people and more money than the United States. But you move slower in times of crisis, and you move slower on bigger issues, whether it's refugees or, or pandemics or whatever. That is the trade-off. So, yeah, like I, I, I don't think there's an EU failure here. I think this is an EU success because this was the process working as intended, and this is just like what was inevitably going to happen. I, I want to challenge that a little bit, right? Because I think you're EU fight. Let's go. <laughs> no, I think Alex is right on a lot of the important points here. That's it's not what I was looking the, for. The specifics. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Jen. I'm not going to like gladiate for you, <laughs> uh, but I will gladiate. Gladiate. I'll whatever. take it. Gladiate. Let's go. Yeah, gladiate. I think gladiate works as a verb. Are you um, not entertained? <laughs> you should be worldly listeners. You should be entertained because I'm about to get mad. No, I'm not going to get mad. Do it. I Do just, it. I just, I just think like it is not just that the process did this and then it worked in the way that it was supposed to, right? That's certainly some of that is the case, especially in terms of um, the the distribution issues, right? The fact that Europe is working really hard to uh, try to treat Bulgaria and Germany equally. If you're a German, I can see why you'd be mad about that. Uh, if you're a Bulgarian, of course, you're thrilled. But I think when it comes to the price issue, which is, as far as I can tell, the biggest reason why the EU was slow, the price and the immunity concerns, that's not, like, that wasn't handed down by the EU structures, right? It wasn't that there's something intrinsic to the EU that says we have to be concerned about negotiating drug prices down or the European project, right? It may be part of the ideological makeup of the people who are in the EU, which is an interest in regulation, but it is not intrinsic to the structure itself, that they had to take this negotiating tack. It could have been the case that all EU 27 countries got together and they're like, look, we want to get these vaccines fast. We're going to let 
the vaccine producers have immunity. We're going to we're going to pay what the United States or what Israel paid and we're going to get the vaccines faster. They could have made that choice, right? This is a contingent decision by EU leadership, not necessarily a direct result of structure. I think that's a really good point. But I'm going to see Alex <laughs> respond. Go. Sure. We although I think that's being too cute by half. And and I don't mean to be like sharp there. It's just it is true that the EU as a structure did not necessarily lead to small smaller price points for the drug. But it is true that the EU, because it is a structure, led to smaller price points by the drug. Because European nations, on the whole, as I was alluding to earlier, care very deeply about regulating certain industries, the pharmaceutical company being one of them. And again, to not go into a long history, but it had to do with surviving a lot of wars and like there were a bunch of issues with, with drug companies, et cetera. So like, the e- because there is an EU, a lot of countries that are very similarly minded about regulating industries have more power to negotiate against those industries. So I, I agree completely. Like the EU by itself being a structure does not lead to that. But in fact, because you have 27 member states working in tandem for a common goal, it therefore leads to that same outcome. So I like I can imagine, you know, even most of those nations that we're talking about and the EU individually agree with the same thing. They wouldn't have been able to do the price thing. And so therefore, they probably would have prioritized speed for, for myriad reasons. If the EU weren't a thing, then speed would have still been the what won the day in Europe. It is because they are in the EU, because the EU exists, that they were able to consider even prioritizing a lower price, and they did. Um, I think that should have gotten a lot meaner than it did. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so I hope that you enjoyed me chatting with my co-hosts, Jen Williams and Alex Ward, about what's going on in the European Union. Again, if you want to hear more from this conversation, log on to Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you choose to get your podcasts, and uh, go check out Worldly, W-O-R-L-D-L-Y, and listen to the rest of the conversation. Hopefully, we will see you there. Log on to the World Wide Web at HTTP, surf the net on over to askjeeves.com and check out our MySpace page.